Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the starter. Preseason, Week 4. An excerpt from Species Biology and Football, written by Cho Ah Huity. Homo Pondus. He ain't heavy G, he's my brother. Contrary to popular opinion, the heavy G are not just really big humans. Homo sapiens are the ancestral species, true, but the heavy G's genetic makeup has changed so much that they are classified as a completely separate sentient race, Homo pondus. While heavy G and humans can mate, and often do, only one half of one percent of those couples can produce a pregnant female. Of those pregnancies, only one one-hundredth of a percent produce a living child. This means that offspring are produced only once for roughly every two million matings, a level of reproductive isolation clearly indicating speciation between Homo sapiens and Homo pondus. First and foremost in this speciation is the difference in size between the races. The average human male stands 5 feet 11 inches tall and weighs 175 pounds. The average heavy G male, on the other hand, stands 6 feet 3 inches tall and weighs 348 pounds. This is a massive difference in height-to-weight ratio. Heavy G are not only taller, but are far denser than humans. The heavy G were created on Bosor 3. The high-gravity planet had a wealth of mineral resources, but normal humans could only work there for short periods of time. An intense genetic engineering project by the League of Planets set out to create a human variant that could live an entire lifetime on Vosor 3. To achieve this, the heavy G race has thicker, denser bones. They also have higher levels of muscle density. These are just two of the morphological differences that make breeding between the species nearly impossible, and they are only the beginning. It is this structural variation that led to the heavy G species' role in football, one of strength, balance, and high speed over short distances. Those attributes are what makes the heavy G the ideal defensive end. Despite being taller and having shorter legs than their human counterparts, Heavy G players have a lower center of gravity thanks to heavier hips. The Heavy G also have relatively longer arms. With their arms at their sides and their palms pressed flat against the outside of their legs, the tip of the index finger on most Heavy G males will actually touch the ground. Long arms, short legs, and a heavily muscled upper body is what led human reporters to dub Heavy G players the Gorillas of the Gridiron. A gorilla is an extinct human-like animal from Earth's history. This association is compounded by the fact that most Heavy G sprint as a quadruped, using their hands as well as their feet, just as gorillas once did. A defensive end has to perform three main functions— 
To show you these functions, we'll use INF Kraken standout defensive end Alexander Michnik, number 91, as our example. The defensive end's first main function, force the play back inside. Remember that the defensive end, often referred to as simply DE, is usually the widest defensive player on the line of scrimmage. If a running back or quarterback approaches Michnik, it is his job as DE to attack from the outside in and force the ball carrier back inside toward the other defensive players, such as defensive guards, nose tackles, and linebackers. If the ball carrier runs outside the defensive end, there is often no one to stop that ball carrier for many yards. Running backs and quarterbacks will try to get outside the defensive end, then turn up the sidelines for long gains. Even if a DE is rushing the quarterback, he does not want to let that quarterback scramble and escape outside. The defensive end's second main role, stop the run. A defensive end like Alexander Michnik tends to line up in a three-point stance and attack forward upon the snap of the ball, but attack forward while under control. This means he moderates forward momentum so that he can quickly stop, go left or right, or even back up if necessary. Remember that an offensive lineman is constantly pushing and hitting Michnik, so he must be able to press forward while keeping a defender at arm's length. If it is a run play, Michnik can separate from the blocker and either make the tackle or turn the ball carrier back inside. Michnik has to make sure the offensive lineman or other blocker doesn't hook him. A hook happens when a blocker gets on Michnik's outside shoulder and turns him back inside, allowing the ball carrier an unimpeded path to the outside. The defensive end third and perhaps most exciting job, rush the passer. If Alexander determines it is a pass play, his job is almost always to get to the quarterback, either to make the quarterback hurry a throw or to sack him outright. To reach the quarterback, Michnik has to go around or through the offensive lineman. To go through requires brute strength. To go around requires strength as well as the agility needed to make moves like the spin, the swim, or what Michnik is famous for, the rip. Quarterbacks throw the ball about three seconds after the snap. Therefore, the DE must have a combination of strength, balance, and short-distance speed. On long-yardage situations, like a 3rd and 17, for example, there is a high degree of probability that the offense will throw. In these situations, Michnik can rush forward in an all-out attack because he isn't worried about stopping a running play. This single-minded effort to get to the quarterback is colloquially called pinning your ears back in reference to the behavior of a small, warm-blooded earth animal known as a dog that is used as a human pet or used to attack foot soldiers and criminals. Because Michnik is so adept at running on all fours, he is faster and more agile than the key offensive linemen that usually block him. This agility often allows Michnik to overcome a key superior strength. Long reach and low center of gravity help a heavy G hold offensive linemen at arm's length. 
This allows Michnik to stand his ground against blocks, giving him time to identify the run or the pass and react accordingly. For pass rushing, Michnik's mass and huge upper body allow him to take the punishment dished out by offensive linemen. A heavy G player's natural tendency to sprint forward on all fours makes their center of gravity almost as low as that of the key. Michnik's short, thick legs keep driving him forward, even as his massive arms and mallet-like fists come up to slap or punch at the backpedaling offensive linemen. So why don't coaches use the heavy G size and speed in offensive positions like receiver and running back? First, the average heavy G player is significantly slower than the average human player. More significantly, to run at top speed, a heavy G has to run on all fours, which makes it impossible to carry the ball. With ball in hand, a heavy G can only run on two legs and one arm, slowing them considerably. Finally, the heavy G player's big hands and slower reaction time make it hard to catch the football. Ionath Kraken's head coach, Hokor the Hookchest, is famous for saying that heavy G players can't, quote, grab their own butts with both hands, end quote. It is somewhat unclear what this euphemism means. Heavy G dominate the defensive end category, but a few of the larger members of the species succeed in defensive interior positions and even on the offensive line. 5% of defensive tackles are heavy G, while 7% of starting offensive linemen come from the species. A few female heavy G have also found success in the GFL. Females have relatively short arms and longer legs than the males. Physically, heavy G women appear more similar to humans and gravitate toward the same positions occupied by humans. Heavy G women play at fullback, tight end, quarterback, and in the rare example of Jan the Destroyer Denison, at linebacker. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. On a remote island in frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Quentin walked to the line, pausing before he bent behind center. He cupped both hands to his face mask. Hey, Mumo, you call that last tickle a hit? 
the key adolescent rose up so he could see over the massive Zeraditak, who was lined up as the offensive right guard. Barnes! Hokor shouted from his golf cart. Stop antagonizing Mumo Killaway! I'm out of players to put it right guard! Quentin ignored the coach. That was easy. Ignoring the pain in his right ribs and his left thigh? Not so easy. Baiting Mumo into playing all-out carried a powerful price. Hey, Mumo! You are a weak warrior! My grandma back in Makovi used to hit harder than you do, and she only had one arm! If you're not going to play hard, just go home! You're an embarrassment to the franchise! <laughs> Mumo reared up on his back two legs, waving his other four legs and his forearms while roaring at the top of his lungs. Terrifying. Quentin would have been scared, but he already hurt so bad it couldn't get any worse. So what was there to be afraid of? Mumo dropped into his eight-point stance, rear legs madly kicking at the nanograss. In front of Mumo, Zer Adetak prepared to block. The backup right tackle was 12 feet 8 inches long and 680 pounds, easily the biggest sentient Quentin had ever seen. Zera was almost a foot longer and 100 pounds heavier than Vuko Will, the starting right tackle, but Zera was also only 18 years old. Could he handle Mumo's psychotic assault? This had to work. It had to. An enraged Mumo had blown past Shunanwan so many times that Hokor had given up, tried playing KO Keyware at the right guard instead. Mumo had ripped past KO six times in ten plays, so Hokor had tried backup left tackle Shut O Diddle. Mumo knocked Shut O out of commission in three plays, sending the inexperienced lineman to visit Doc Pata in the training room. So, if Zera didn't step up, the Krakens were out of options. They'd go back to Shunan Wan, the rookie, and Quentin would spend the coming Sunday getting the tar knocked out of him. Blue 16! Blue 16! Hot, hot! Quentin turned to the right and handed off to Dan Campbell. The rookie running back dashed forward as Mumo immediately drove in, pushing the bigger Zera around like a child. Mumo separated from the block, gathered, and shot forward. Campbell ducked the tackle so fast, it was like he'd known it was coming. He ran along the line, looking for a hole, but Virak the Mean dragged him down. Huddle up! Quentin called out. As his players ran back to the huddle, he glanced at the sidelines. There was Isud Murphy, arms crossed, just glaring. Sud hadn't been running the ball hard enough for Hokor's liking, so now the coach was giving Campbell first-string reps. Campbell was running hard. The rookie showed phenomenal reaction time and head-snapping moves. He wasn't big or fast, but Dan reacted to holes almost instantly and drove his body into them at top speed. If Yasud didn't improve his game in a hurry, Campbell was going to take over as the starting running back. All right, all right, Quentin said to the huddle. Campbell, nice run. The baby-faced runner grinned back, his mouth an open smile as he sucked in air. It would have been a nice run. Quentin said, if we had blocked for him. Zara, this is your chance to take the starting position. Are you up for it? <laughs> then let's pass the ball, Quentin said. Eagle set, 42 red wing on two, on two. Ready? Break! Quentin walked to the line as his blockers settled into position. He knelt behind Budoschweck, the center. To Budo's left, the offensive guard showed O Thicket. To Budo's right, the mountain of pebble-skin flesh that was Zara. 
Quentin scanned the defense. Mumo Killowee again lined up right in front of Zara. Straight ahead, John Tweedy waited in his middle linebacker position. Virak the Mean stood on John's left. Chodo the Bright stood on John's right. Under John's helmet, Quentin could see the man's facial tattoo. Here comes the judge, it said. Great. They were blitzing. Just great. Quentin started to audible, then stopped. If Zerak couldn't pick up a blitz in practice, the key wasn't going to pick one up in the game. They had to see how he fared. Groaning to himself, Quentin continued with the play. Blue 22! Blue 22! Hot, hot! Quentin took the snap and backpedaled. He saw Mumo drive to the inside, toward center. Zerash should have stayed in his position, let Budo, the center, pick up Mumo's angling attack. Instead, Zerash went along with Mumo, reacting instead of sticking to the blocking scheme, and that opened a hole for the blitzing John Tweedy. Quentin realized a second too late that he was still watching Zerah's struggle against Mumo Killowee, and in that second, John Tweedy closed. <laughs> Quentin's head rocked back. He felt himself go airborne, carried by a pair of huge arms. His back hit the ground as 310 pounds of linebacker drove into his chest. From somewhere, Quentin heard a sympathetic, ooh, one of his teammates reacting to John's hit. Quentin opened his eyes to see John's crazy face far too close, separated only by the space of two face masks. Oh, Uncle Johnny, I have a red jersey on, remember? What, you let Mumo tee off on you, but I can't have any fun? Truth be told, I'm really not having any fun at all. Didums hurt his widow Chester Westers, scrolled across John's face. Hey Q, I got a hunch that Zara isn't going to work out at right guard. Wow. You think? Now get off me, John, before people start to talk. John got to his feet, then reached out a hand and helped Quentin to his. Quentin limped back to the huddle, his head hurting, his chest throbbing. Zara was only two plays into his trial, but Quentin's instincts said he just wasn't ready. The Kraken's starting offensive line averaged 46 years of age. Zara was only 18. He was a project, drafted for his massive size, but it would probably be another three or even four seasons before he had the coordination necessary to react to attacking defensive tackles and linebackers. Quentin had to face a harsh fact. Backup players were backup players for a reason. There was only so much money to go around, only so much room on the roster to pay for expensive second stringers. Key were usually resilient, and teams could often count on a consistent offensive line for five seasons or more before any change was required. Budo Schweck, the center, was 63 years old and had 23 professional football seasons under his belt, all without missing a single snap. Key didn't injure easily, but the problem was that when they did get hurt, it was usually quite severe. Quentin looked up to Hokor's floating golf cart, then shook his head. Hokor screamed through the speakers. Get out of there! Shoot on one! Back in at right guard! Run the same play! And can somebody please block? Quentin watched the huge Zerass scuttle off the field, and Shunan scuttle back on. Hokor had tried everything possible, every option at their disposal. Unless Greedock landed a free agent right guard, Quentin would have to go to war with the army he had. A free agent, or... 
a trade. Quentin reached the huddle and looked over his teammates, eyes lingering on Scarborough, on Denver, on their bodies quivering with excitement, eyes shining with deep reverence. No, no trade. Shunan would get better, had to get better, and that's all there was to it. Time was up. The touchback was already en route to tower, three punches into an eight-punch, five-and-a-half-day flight. Just four days away from their game against the ISIS ice storm and the start of the regular season. Captain Kate Cheevers liked sunlight. No matter where the touchback went, she always angled the ship so that the clear dome faced the closest star. The practice field had a full complement of lights, but only lit them up when the ship was on a planet's dark side or during punch space flights when there were no stars to see. The touchback had reached Grasslop, the sixth stop of the trip to Tower. The distance from the fifth punch, the planet Toe in the Key Empire, to Grasslop was the longest of the eight-punch trip, requiring a full day for the engines to recharge. A long trip was no excuse not to practice. That's what the touchback's built-in field was for. Captain Cheevers had put the touchback's belly toward the planet, dome-facing out, so the strange yellow-green light of Grasslop's star illuminated the field. That was how everyone knew something major was about to happen, when something blocked out the light of the sun. Everyone looked up to the source of this strange eclipse. Through the practice field's dome, they could only see a portion of a ship, clearly larger than the touchback by a factor of five or more. Gun turrets bristled from a clean, white hull. Quentin could see a corner of a red, white, and blue image, the GFL logo. John Tweedy walked up to stand next to Quentin. John, what the shuck is that? GFL Warcruiser, John said. The GFL has a Warcruiser? Yep. How about that? Yep. And why does the GFL need a Warcruiser? Because when Commissioner Frost makes a visit, he doesn't mess around. And because it's got a punch drive, which means he got the touchback's travel itinerary so he could catch up to us here. Is that bad? He didn't come here for scotch and cookies scrolled across John's head. Yeah, John said. I'm guessing it's bad. All players report to the landing bay, the computer called out. Attendance is mandatory. Report immediately. Huh, John said. Quentin sighed. Well, I guess practice is over. Yep. Quentin and John started walking to the end zone tunnel. His human, Heavy G, Sklorno, Quith Warrior, and Key teammates did the same. Uncle Johnny, what do you think this is all about? Mods, John said. Someone is about to get busted. An entire professional football team, in white and black practice jerseys in full armor, packed into the touchback's landing bay. The ship's orange and black shuttle sat unused, overshadowed by the larger, white-painted visiting craft. White, with a big GFL logo on the side, the small words, Official Diplomatic Vehicle, painted underneath. In truth, Quentin thought of it as a shuttle only because he didn't know the proper word for something that looked like a flying tank, complete with front-mounted guns, a cannon turret up top, and a smaller turret gun underneath. He nudged John, then nodded toward the craft. What is that thing? M-58T combat tank, 
John said. Combo gunship and troop transport. The commissioner never leaves home without it. A tank? That big warship outside? What's he need all this for? John's face wrinkled. He sighed. Bemud spelled backwards as Quentin scrolled across his face. Well, Hayseed, the commissioner's job is to tell owners what to do and punish them if they are caught breaking GFL regulations. Maybe you didn't notice, but owners don't like being told what to do. So they... they would try and kill the commissioner? Maybe. Gangsters like Greedock want their own people in control. The commissioner has the backing of the Kretorakian Empire, so owners can't control him. Commissioner Frost calls the shots. Whatever he says, goes. The tank's side door lowered. Quentin took a step back when he saw what came out. Two Sklorno dressed in white combat armor, each carrying a large energy rifle in her tentacles. Small GFL logos decorated their armored midriffs, just below their tentacle arms. Big, armored feet made metallic clacks as they stepped out onto the landing bay's deck. Just be cool, Q, John said. Be cool. Don't panic. Why would I panic? Quentin hissed. I'm not a little kid, John. I... Quentin froze, motionless, as perhaps a dozen Kretorakians swarmed out of the tank. They flew as a flock, spreading out, then snapping back together as they circled the landing bay. Each wore a white bodysuit, with a little GFL logo across the small chest, and each carried an entropic rifle. Terror stabbed through Quentin, rooting him to the spot. That is why I told you not to panic, John said. I know you aren't that fond of our tiny flying overlords. Most of the Krakens groaned in annoyance or made their species equivalent sound. No one liked being rousted by the bats. Quentin's teammates seemed to be treating this like some minor traffic stop. He, however, had seen too many people die from those entropic rifles. The sight of a bat wasn't like life and death. It was life and death. Here comes the man, John said, his voice full of excitement, maybe even reverence. The commissioner? Nah, he comes after. This here would be the greatest linebacker to ever not play the game. Leba the Gorgeous. Out of the tank walked something Quentin had seen only in history holos, a quith warrior in power armor. The white armor covered polished metal coils and joints beneath. When Leba moved, the armor buzzed like a stop-start version of an insect swarm. The heavy, white helmet provided only a black, horizontal slit to see through. Holstered sidearms hung in armored cases from each hip. Leba held a long shock prod in both of his armor-covered middle arms. Quith warriors were impressive creatures to start with, GFL-sized ones even more so, but with the power armor, Leba was pushing eight feet in height. He looked like a walking wrecking machine. Leba turned his head slowly from side to side, taking in everything, taking his time. Quentin whispered to John, You said he was the greatest ever not play the game. What's that mean? Oh, he played, John said. Two seasons with the Vic Vanguard. Led the league in tackles both year. No one could stop him. He get hurt? John shook his head. He quit. Wanted to get into league administration of all things. Became the commissioner's bodyguard so he could learn the ropes. If Leba had kept playing, he would have probably been the best linebacker of all time. Oh, shush it! Here comes the commish! After the parade of white-clad lethality, what walked out next made Quentin squint to make sure he was seeing it right. It's... John, what is that? 
A robot toy or something? John squeezed his eyes shut and pinched the bridge of his nose. Backwater, he said. Remember when the rookies arrived and the Asud and I told you about midgets? Quentin nodded. Well, that is a midget. Only don't call the commish that, or he'll string you up. So what do I call him? You call him Sir. Coach Hokor walked across the landing bay to face Commissioner Frost. They were the same height, exactly, and could look each other eye to eyes. Commissioner, Hokor said, loud enough for the team to hear. To what do we owe this honor? We need to speak to one of your players, Frost said. Quentin would have expected a tiny voice, but the commissioner's words boomed through the landing bay. Frost turned to face the gathered team. Dan Campbell, please step forward. There was a pause, a murmur. Kraken's players looked around. Then, a scuffling sound. Quentin saw a smaller body at the back of the pack, pushing through the team. There he is! Frost screamed. Seize him! It was Campbell, running for the landing bay door. The Kretorakian flocks swarmed down, flying in front of him, and flapping their leathery wings as they leveled their entropic rifles. Dan paused, then took a step forward and stopped, as if he was thinking of taking his chances. Another pause, then he lowered his head and rushed them. Quentin winced as he waited for a dozen entropic rifles to turn Dan Campbell into a puddle of rancid goo and a cloud of stinky smoke, but the shots never rang out. The two armored Sklerno hit Campbell from behind. Dan's forehead bounced off the deck, instantly split and bleeding. Quentin heard the stop-start buzzing of an insect swarm. John grabbed his arm and yanked him to the side just before Leba the Gorgeous stomped past. Campbell pushed away the Sklerno tentacles, came to his knees, and threw an elbow at a midriff. The sound of bony elbow-hitting armor echoed through the landing bay followed by Dan's sound of surprised pain. Leba closed the distance and shoved his shock stick into Dan's stomach. The rookie running back twitched, his face screwed into a tight-eyed mask of pain, then he fell into a fetal position. Leba reached down and grabbed Dan's ankle. The power-armored quith warrior dragged Dan across the deck to the white-painted tank. Commissioner, Okor said, tell your goon to unhand my running back. Your running back has mods, Frost said. We have a statement from the doctor that installed them. Synthetic nerve augmentation. New technology that slipped past our detectors at the Combine. Hokor's one big eye tracked a twitching, prone Dan Campbell slide across the floor, leaving a trail of blood in his wake. Leba effortlessly tossed Dan into the tank's dark interior. The quith warrior turned to face the landing bay his head once again scanning from side to side. Hokor turned back to Commissioner Frost. If it's new tech, how did you find out? We have other means of collecting information, Frost said. Campbell's doctor, he talked. That's all you need to know, Hokor. If you're wrong, we want Campbell back. We're not wrong. We have every reason to believe the Kraken's franchise did not know about this violation. There will be no fine. The Sklorno guards walked past Leba and into the tank, followed by the flying, white-suited Kretorakians. Frost walked up the ramp, his little feet padding on the metal surface. Hey, Quentin said. Wait a minute. Frost stopped and turned. Quentin felt a hand grab his elbow. Q, 
John hissed. What are you doing? Quentin shook his arm free. Where are you taking Dan? Froze paused a moment, staring until the weight felt uncomfortable. Barnes, Froze said. This is none of your business. Quentin instinctively looked into the tank, fighting back his fear at the Kretorakians inside. Someone had to speak for Dan. That's my teammate, and I want to know where you're taking him. Froze put his little hands together and cracked his little knuckles. Kretorakian law stipulates that Campbell's mods must be removed. We're taking him to the hospital on board the regulator. The regulator? Froese inclined his tiny head to the landing bay doors. My ship, the regulator. I want to know that Dan will be safe, Quentin said. I want your guarantee. Barnes, Hokor shouted. This is not the place for your... Without looking away from Quentin, Froese raised a hand, cutting the coach off in mid-sentence. Froese kept staring, again waiting until the whole landing bay felt full of awkward air. Barnes... You don't get to ask me for a guarantee of anything. You are an employee of the Galactic Football League, a rather privileged position. As for your teammate, excuse me, your former teammate, he broke not only GFL regulations, but also Kretorakian law. He has mods. Those mods have to be removed. These uh, synthetic nerve things, can you take them out safely? Froese shrugged. There's always a first time for that. I didn't put the mods in him, Barnes. He made his choice. He knew what would happen if he got caught. Well, he got caught. Okay, sure, but enough, Froze said. I have a schedule to keep. But don't worry, Barnes. I've been reading up on your history. I've had sentients keeping an eye on you. I think that very soon, you and I are going to have a nice little face-to-face chat. The commissioner smiled for the first time. He had red teeth. Quentin didn't know what to make of that, not one bit. The small man turned and walked into the white tank. Leba gave the room one more scan, then he also walked inside. The door lifted and closed shut with a hiss and a clank. Q, John said. What was he talking about? Have you done anything to put you at risk? Do you have mods? No, Quentin said. You know better than that. Then what was he talking about? Quentin shrugged but he wondered the same thing. Quentin was as clean as clean gets. Unless... Could Froese know about what Quentin had done to clear Pine's gambling debts? Or even worse, did Froese know the tow pirates had tried to get Quentin to throw games? Maybe Quentin needed to come clean on that. But he had not thrown games. He hadn't done anything wrong. Reporting that now would create suspicion where there was nothing to be suspicious about. The team didn't need distractions like that. Not now. Please clear the landing bay immediately. Please clear the landing bay immediately. Quentin felt a tap on his shoulder. He turned to face a smiling Yasud Murphy. I believe we had a bet about Campbell making it out of training camp? What? Are you kidding me? Dan Campbell's probably going to die, and you want money? Yasud held out his hand, palm up. A bet is a bet, Hayseed. That idiot got mods. That's his problem. No wonder he was so agile. Quentin filed out of the landing bay with the rest of the team. Fine, he said. I'll pay you tonight. Good deal. Because if you wait until tomorrow, I'll have to start charging you interest. Yasud seemed far too happy with the situation, 
but Quentin couldn't really blame him. Yasud's top rival for the starting running back position was out of the picture. That, and he'd won a bet. For Yasud, that was about as good as it got. As for Dan Campbell, his GFL career was over, and he'd soon undergo forced surgery that might prove fatal. The Krakens faced off against the Isis Ice Storm in just two days. There wasn't enough time to find a free agent replacement for Campbell, and any free agents left unsigned at this point most likely weren't even at Yasud's level. If Yasud didn't deliver as the starting running back, the Krakens were in even more trouble than before. You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League Series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.